Released on Sunday, June 8th, 2014 in Boston, Massachusetts. This Agile Life, Episode 52. This Agile Gaming Life on the Charles River. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. And as you can tell, I'm losing my voice. As always, I have uh, some very special friends of mine here with me, my guest hosts, my hosts, my co-hosts, and one of them here is Jason Tice. Good evening, John. Great to talk to you tonight, and I think I know why you might be losing that voice just a little bit. Tell me. I think we have some guests tonight who are joining us for a very special edition of This Agile Life. Where are we at? Uh, We are at the Microsoft New England Research and Development Center in Cambridge, which is right outside Boston. It's actually across the river. And we're here at the 2014 Agile Games Conference hosted by Agile New England. Hopefully that didn't kill Amos. Uh, Just about. (laughs) So also joining us tonight is Amos King. Hello, good evening. I unfortunately was not able to make it to Boston because I'm on mandatory vacation with the family. Mandatory vacation is good. I'm recording out of the back of my van in the parking lot of a real estate agency because they've let me use their Wi-Fi. I wish you were down by a river. (laughs) I'm down by the ocean. Does that count? Not not exactly. (laughs) Also joining us tonight, Lee McCauley. Hi, John. I am having a great time here at Agile Games. I was a little surprised at all the amazing stuff that I saw today. I was pleasantly surprised. You were surprised? I was. I am not usually a games kind of guy, and I think the people here kind of showed me that I was wrong. So you were overwhelmed with a bunch of great games. Yeah, this was very cool stuff. We're going to talk a little more about the games that we uh, learned about today. And who would like to start us off with a summary of the sessions? Because we each attended, each three of us here attended special sessions, the deep dive sessions. And we're going to summarize what it was that we learned today or what the sessions were about today. So, Jason, you look like you're ready to summarize your session. Okay. so Are you? Oh, I can be. Give us a summary. Well, so today we started, and one thing that is great about the Agile Games Conference is they have really extended periods of time, these deep dive sessions, they actually go on for four and a half hours. So really an opportunity to do some creative collaboration. And today I went to a session that was presented by Chris Sims and Laura Powers from Agile Learning Labs, and they walked us through a whole process after a keynote this morning that talked about the value of using Agile Games to promote collaboration and experiential learning. They then walked us through a process, and in the course of four and a half hours, we actually developed five new Agile learning games. And um, we did that using Scrum. There was an emphasis, which I'll share my group. You guys will joke probably because I was the product owner. Struggled with to uh, get our first game playable within our first 15-minute development sprint. But what was really good as a game developer is there was a focus on you know keeping things simple, building out your game, testing it by actually playing it. So not just drawing it on the whiteboard and saying, I think this will work. Anyone who's done games has probably been there before. And, and Lee, as you mentioned, um, you know, I'll admit in my own career, I've done some games that could have been better and things that I've learned before. And we're reinforced today by Chris and Laura, this value of test play. So we had a great lecture this morning that uh, where we actually brainstormed one count. We went through, I think, 80 different games, you know, where we talked about the different mechanics and the different factors of those games. Then we started our build. We actually did four sprints. Then we started test playing. And we got some really great games that came out of that, which I know are going to come out of the conference and will be used to benefit lots of people and lots of teams, uh, both here in New England and all over the country, because there's people from all over the country here at Azure Games 2014. Jason, you guys are going to share those games with the participants and maybe with the audience here? Yes, I can go over my notes. Or I know for those at the conference, um, there were several discussions, and Chris and Laura were really gracious. They had a bunch of supplies shipped here to Boston, and they allowed all of us that went to the workshop to pilfer their supplies. So ideally, many of these games will be presented at the conference open space on Wednesday. I worked on a game where we worked on encouraging leadership to do the things they need to do to support an Agile team. You build something with pipe cleaners, and there's a few little variables that get thrown in, and it actually got us to the potential of a really good debrief. So we might do that. There was a great game about collaboration that was, I didn't get the name, but it involved the number 13, where you got to roll dice, and they demonstrated 
eliminated the danger of siloed communication, and then they allowed for a little bit more collaboration, and then they actually allowed for a whole team approach. And what it did is it demonstrated the team was able to be more productive. So again, a great game. Uh, Woody Zool has been on This Agile Life before. He did a game about estimates. Actually, someone who's already in our hot seat uh, almost called Woody out because there was a question where we thought Woody might have actually endorsed estimates as opposed to not necessarily endorsing them. We can get into that in a moment. And then there was a great game about brainstorming. You know, how to a simple word game where you pick a theme and then you brainstorm words, you put them together. That was actually really good. It was a quick play game, lots of ideas. And last but not least, there was a game about what is my company addicted to? More of a kind of a change management game to draw focus to a specific problem that may be causing teams or your organization pain, and then you go through cycles of how to overcome that pain. So it was a four and a half hour session. Five different games were created that were all playable. And for those listening, and if you're planning ahead, Agile Games 2015, I'm sure we'll be back. Come check us out because that's an example of what happens in four and a half hours of creativity. Wow, that sounds like a lot. Five games out of a four and a half hour session is exciting and great. Yeah, very cool. And that's all I'm going to say because I know Lee's going to talk about the same amount. You're going to talk about that. And then we want to get our studio audience involved tonight, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be brief and I'll go next. I attended the session from Dr. Roger Greenway where he was talking about debriefing. And specifically, the session was called The Games After the Games. So it was all focused on how to get the most out of debriefing activities like retrospectives, etc. Things that you might do to debrief within your team after action reviews if you're taking a look at uh, how things went with a release and how to leverage these games to get people to be open and honest and to share their feelings and to share their experiences. And I, for one, am not a very big game player typically in the workspace, in the Agile workspace, so I did not know very many games at all and was really blown away by the the sheer volume of games that we learned in a short period of time today from Roger. I thought he did a great job. Roger, consequently, is not the kind of guy that knows a lot about Agile. He came to Agile Games last year and just started to learn about Agile last year. But he's found a way through his experience with games and the whole mindset and psychology around games to take a number of these games and bend them in a way that can be easily used and applied to Agile. And uh, it was they were great sessions that, that felt like all of the participants in our sessions learned quite a bit. There was fun. We got to stand up and do various things with each other and, and engage. And it was just a very engaging day. I felt uh, kind of out of my element because with my voice, it was harder for me to engage, but I still had fun and learned a lot. So Roger, thank you very much for those sessions. So, Lee, tell us about the sessions that you went to today. So, I went to the sessions that were led by DocList, and for the first session, we talked about what learning environments are good, what makes a a really good learning environment, and uh, what exactly is a game. So, we actually had to do a little more thought of, well, what exactly do we mean when we talk about games and the fact that we can gamify even the daily work we do? We don't have to limit our games to just what's in the in retrospectives or in special sessions. You can actually use these same concepts on a day-to-day basis. So that was kind of the first part of the session. And then we met a bunch of dimwits. Oh, wait a second. No, we learned this acronym called dimwits, which stands for different trumps same, images trumps words, Movement trumps sitting, writing trumps reading, talking trumps listening, and shorter trumps longer. So all these things that, as a good presenter, we should all know and be doing, but you often don't think about it. So these were just ways of thinking about how best to create a a learning situation there. And then the last part of that session were the four C's, connections, concepts, concrete practice, and conclusions. So tying all those in together and coming up with some really interesting ways of how the brain works and how we should be uh, encouraging learning on a daily basis. I'll tell you what, it sounds like a lot of really valuable content from Agile Games 2014. And just in day one, and there's still two days left, I wandered by the rooms out here while the sessions were going on, and I felt really sad because I could only participate in one of the sessions. You know, I couldn't be in all three sessions, so I felt Sad that I couldn't see them all, but um, I'm glad that I could get a summary from you guys tonight. 
So, Jason, you alluded to the fact that you wanted to open it up. So, can you? Why don't you invite people up here to talk a little well, bit? Well, we did that, and I worked with the audience a little bit before we started recording today. And so, we already have our first person in the hot seat. So, if you are in the hot seat, we will ask you to introduce yourself to our podcast listeners, and then you know you have the floor, and we'll see where this takes us. So, mysterious person, who are you? I'm not really that mysterious. I'm Nancy Van Schoenderwerk. But you can just say Nancy V. And what I did today was uh, be in Chris's session for game development. And I uh, had two collaborators with the addiction game that you mentioned. And I began working on that idea just a few weeks ago with Steve Hollier. And just to give credit where due, the concept is based on writings of uh, Jerry Weinberg. He wrote about addiction syndromes in organizations. Other people have too, but I'm most familiar with his. So anyway, the gist of the game is to try to get people to understand that when companies seem to resist things that are logical, like, you know, if they have an agile team and it's doing well and they dismantle it, companies do a lot of self-destructive things, okay, like skipping testing and so on. And they keep doing them even though you demonstrate over and over again that it is not a good thing to do. So... Some of us as Agile coaches, we tend to keep just trying to use logical arguments, but they don't work when you're dealing with an addiction, right? Because it's a uh, dynamic that feeds itself. But there are ways to interrupt the flows. And so that's what the game focuses on. There's a short-term rewards loop and a longer-term penalty loop. For example, you think about smoking. You know, people say they smoke to calm their nerves or, or things like that. So there's a quick reward, but there's a longer-term penalty, you know, the diseases and things. Well, it's like that with companies, too. But so, you don't think about those long-term effects, right? You only think about that short-term thing. You, you're like, oh, I'll worry about dying later. Um, yeah. Well, in like in software, I mean, we're famous for talking about technical debt. There's a great example. You know, everybody wants to put a quick fix into the code. Oh, that's a one-line change. Well, yeah, if you do it a certain way, but if you do it properly, it's a little bit more involved because you should make the structure of the code still be a fit place for later features. But a lot of people don't do that. So they get a quick fix in the short term, and they get more and more brittle code in the longer term, just as an example. So, And in the game, we also followed Jerry Weinberg's prescription for how you deal with addiction. And, you know, it basically you stop doing the addictive behavior, but you still have to substitute another behavior that gives you the rewards. And that's uh, cleaner in the sense that it doesn't cause the pain. Yeah, so, and I think the, the thing that I really like about games, and I think this is one of the things I, I would love to know what, like, Lee, as you said, you've, you were impacted a lot by what you learned today. Games have a way of making a complex concept, you know, like addiction or, you know, organizational change presenting it in a manner that all the players can understand. So there isn't mm -hmm. barriers, you know, when teams talk about technical debt and how it's, you know, it's hard to refactor the code because it hasn't been maintained. And, you know, non-developers, they don't understand what that means because they aren't there working in that code base. And, you know, there's communication breakdowns. What's great right. about, you know, there's simple games out there, but even I've always said, I'm actually saying on the podcast, that I don't know of an environment that you cannot, some are harder than others as we learned in the workshop today, but if you ideate it on long enough, you can come up with a concept that brings everyone together and illustrates the need to either learn or change, and that's very impactful. Yeah, and I'd just like to say something about what Chris's session helped me add to the game. It helped me be more conscious of the game elements that I wanted to use. For example, there's strategy, there's chance, there's turn-taking, there's um, complexity or simplicity. Uh, there's a whole slew of elements. We went over something like 16 or 17 different ones, and uh, some of them really mattered, like collaboration. This is essentially a collaborative game meant to help a group of people in a company discuss and identify you know, habitual things are they doing that resist logic? And, you know, so just being conscious that we wanted the simplicity. Sometimes you need complex rules in order to model what you're trying to do in the game. But we didn't really need that. And it is a challenge to keep it simple. Uh, and Chris stressed that a bit, too. So anyway, you know, I liked the mechanic of laying out in a target, you know, what you considered essential and important and, you know, helpful, you know, of those different game characteristics. I liked that part of the session. So is this game for, like, managers or developers or both? Is it for anybody to break that? Well, it's a, I think it's a good game to play with a cross-section of people, although I think it's best if it's played by people who all work together in the same company because what they bring to it is their understanding of that bigger context, and they're using the game to focus that understanding into identifying what, you know, behaviors are unhelpful but persistent in the company, and then to start thinking in a constructive way, you know, to do something about it. 
because it's so easy to just complain and believe that nothing can change or to get cynical and instead you know try to think about it as a system it's got its own dynamic and if you understand it and if you have a little bit of creativity then you can find a way to do something about it that's what agile is all about anyway that's what every agile coach does and scrum masters and whatever you call yourself I, this game sounds fantastic. Like, I could use it right now. I'm looking forward to finding out, like, where you're publishing it or anything like that, where it'll be available. I don't know just yet. Uh, Steve and I just began using it as part of a, a talk and a workshop that we've put together and we've begun talking about. It's going to be at the Edgel Conference. We're going to, uh, we have a session accepted at Edgel 2014 in Orlando, which I believe is the last week of July That's this correct. year. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you the idea, we were kicking around at lunch today, a few of us. We were talking about the open space that we have at Agile Games on Wednesday here. And an idea that I'll throw out there, I haven't talked to Doc about this, who's going to facilitate for us, but, you know, games are hard to capture in proceedings because they're very interactive. And something that I've been exploring from other coaching engagements, and now that we all walk around with an HD video camera, basically, on your iPhone or Samsung or whatever you got, you know, why not, like, do quick little video testimonials or kind of video captures of each session in an open space. Mm-hmm. And then if you're at a conference, just tweet that out with the conference hashtag and you have instant interactive open space proceedings. And for things like games, you know, you could have yeah. someone kind of, you know, give a quick rundown or a testimony of what they did. And we're going to see if we can try that here at Agile Games this year. We'll yeah. mention it at the open space and hopefully we'll capture some of these ideas really in an actionable format. So it's not that. Yeah, there's one other thing I should mention. Steve and I are tweeting about it on the hashtag Start Recovery. Oh, cool. Capital S, capital R. And uh, we'll do that as we have news, you know, if we make it into something official and people can obtain it and get the rules and try it out. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm always up for any test players. Absolutely. <laughs> Who want to test play makes themselves. your game better. Okay, well, I think that's it for me. And now All it's time right. for somebody else to yes, come up here and be on the hot seat, seat, right? Ooh. All right, Nancy, thank you. around the room. Thank- Thanks, Nancy. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, you're welcome. Shall we? Uh, that, I, I have another idea. I think we should. Shall have two I just hot nab seats. somebody? And well, or you can force you them can, to come I up. I think here. I see someone coming. Uh-oh. Yeah, well, you can't stop that guy. Yeah, that's why we need okay, two hot seats. I'm gonna get here. Leave, Bye. I think. Thanks, Nancy. Nancy's leaving. We've got a familiar face yes. rolling in here. Luella's coming up. Hey guys. Hey, Luella. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Roger's session because we you need mentioned- you to introduce oh. officially. That's true. No one on the radio can see me. It's always an advantage, but probably yeah, not well, as good with an introduction. I, I want to try an experiment. I'm going to get up too, and if anyone else wants to come up and join the dialogue, please do. It's I mean, this is really about you guys in the room and also our listeners. It'd be great to get some more people up here. There's a people that are probably sick listening to all of us, so come on up. I sit down, and already the room is clearing. <laughs> So uh, I want to talk about... You hear that intro from when you were on here before about all the cool things that you've done in life. Well, actually, so that's sort of what I wanted to talk about. Because one of the things people always say is sort of collaboration is like a great way to learn. I think that is something we understand at this conference more than other places is get together, play with each other. Great stuff's going to come out of that, even if we don't know what it is. But one of the things that I love about this conference is we take that... Most people think collaboration means, oh, I have to talk to my coworker. Maybe like the extreme collaboration is well, there's those people in management. We could talk to them. But one of the things that's great here is we go across industry. Those aren't people. <laughs> Managers are people too, kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but here we go across industry. And so that was one of the great things about Roger, right, is because he's really coming from a separate industry. To go and work in what we would consider retrospectives for 30, 40 years now and not know the word retrospective or agile like is crazy in my opinion. But from his point of view, it's just an utterly different industry of debriefing. And when we were sitting in a session, he had just such a vast resource of here are different ways of doing retrospectives. And I thought I had seen a lot of them. And I think I had only seen one of the ones he presented today. And again, so when you cross that industry line, not just cross the line, not just your coworker or colleague or business person, like actually leave your industry and talk to people in other industries, that's just such a valuable thing. And for games in particular, I saw this, these two tattoos uh, from today. It was on, it was today, but it was on Reddit. So I'm not sure how that counts. Like, okay. how does Reddit actually <laughs> compare to my reality? <laughs> for me, it's substantial, but. <laughs> Uh, but the, it was a, two tattoos and it was both of them said I've lived many lives and one had like books 
right? So they were living other lives through books. And one had video game controllers. <laughs> so they're living <laughs> many lives through video games. But the great thing about videos, or, or not just video games, but games in general, is they give us this experience. And I think of that like fuel in my car. Those experiences are things that I can use, but just like fuel in my car, it doesn't do anything unless I drive the car. And the way you burn the fuel of experience to actually create learning is through reflection and thought. And and that occurs in the retrospective. If you just sit and think about things, you don't have any real experiences, that doesn't do you anything either. It's like being in a car that's empty. But you put those two things together and you get really good things. A car with fuel that you are driving, that's going to get you somewhere. And so I really like that we sort of reached out out of our industry. I love that that's happening. I wish it happened more. It's amazing. And Roger and I were eating lunch, coincidentally, together between sessions. And I was I was mentioning to him that there's just so much crossover that's out there that can be out there, especially from the game industry to Agile. But then he mentioned that there's also a lot of ways that Agile can cross over to other industries and that are there ways that people are trying to take the principles from Agile and use them in, uh, in other industries. And I didn't mention to him, but I can now that Jason Tice runs his kids on a Kanban board. So, um, yeah. Amos wants to chime in here to see what Amos has to say. Thanks, well, Llewellyn. I've got two things, and one of them is just a question. If people who are, are listening to this, we keep hearing Roger, and we don't get a last name or any context in case somebody wants to find out what Roger's doing by hearing all this. So what's Roger's last name? I said that, but you maybe were not listening. So I'll repeat, uh, I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it for you. It's uh, Roger Greenway, and I'm going to have the link to Roger's website as well as the documents that he made available here at Agile Games 2014 in our show notes, and that's actually my pick. So you blew it. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Sorry. <Or the> conference <laughs> organizers from Agile of England will post Can I just all of jump the session materials. It's Roger Greenway, and I believe it's reviewing.co.uk. Roger, am I right? He's nodding, but he won't come up here to the mic. Okay, that's a tease. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Nancy. Like, I've actually, like, you know, I'm not at the conference, but I'm experiencing uh, this working with people from other industries right now. I am sharing a house on the beach with another programmer, but I'm, I'm not really talking to him. One of the guys there is an aeronautical engineer, and I've been talking to him about how they design parts and work together to try to get parts out on time and to make quality parts because I'm, like, picking his brain for ideas that I can pull over to our industry. How's that going? Is that Do you see that there's crossover there, Amos? There's a lot of crossover. I mean, it goes from design all the way to manufacturing, and so, like, we talked a lot about lean, and then I would like to really get this after I've had more time to discuss this with him. But he's got a a lot of ideas about just how people might work together. kind of seems more like on the maybe artistic design side than the actual, like, writing code, more like pairing on design and things like that. All right. Well, we've got another person that's joined us in the hot seat. Hello and welcome. Hi, I'm Dr. Pamela Gay, co-host of Astronomy Cast, and I am one of those strange interdisciplinary people that you are speaking of who snuck in here to ruthlessly learn everything that I can from you wonderful agile types so that I can steal your ways and bring them over to academia. How's it going, Tommy? It's about time, and I'm really loving the fact that everyone's sort of like, oh, you poured your thing here, let us help you. And honestly, I I need all the help I can get, because in academia, we're sort of, here, go forth, do great things, become the one expert in the world in your entire field. And the idea of mob programming when you're expected to be the only expert in your field, it doesn't work. And this idea that we can all do so much better by working together. It leads me to think we need to all gather people we know absolutely nothing about what they do and just learn and laugh and we need to hear laughter coming through the walls. So how would you apply that from an academic level when you have to publish and you've got co-authors, but usually you guys are all over the world? How would you apply some of the stuff you've seen here, do you think? I think technology is getting to the point that we can recreate many of the things that are being done in Agile simply by leaning on technology and hoping everyone has two screens. If you have one screen where you have a shared writing space, a Google Doc that's open, for instance, and everyone's writing together and sharing together, and in the other window you have that Google Hangout that allows up to 10 people to be working together, well, hopefully someday we'll get beyond the 10, but for now that's a starting point. 
and luckily in my field of astronomy. 10 is kind of an unheard of number for a really big collaboration that doesn't involve a spacecraft. So I think 10 will get us there. Very cool. It sounds challenging to collaborate on astronomy. I mean, there's only one eyepiece. <laughs> well, well, luckily, uh, when you're doing research, you usually aren't looking through the oh. eyepiece. And, and I personally, I have such bad luck with clouds, I wait for a spacecraft to get me data. I see. <laughs> what are some of the games that have really tickled your astronomy bone here in, uh, at the games conference? So I have to admit that, that I sat in on the Creating Games to Solve Problems session this afternoon that Chris Sims did, and sitting down and tearing apart how all of these different games that I, I'm a tabletop player, I love playing games, and looking at them from the, this one teaches strategy, this one teaches cooperation, this one keeps you on time, this one does not, and looking at all of the different aspects that go into the gaming as ways of motivating team building, that was a new way of looking at this and telling me that when we sit down and play Flux over lunch, we're actually doing something to improve our team. And I'm hoping to walk away from this meeting with a lot of new ways of getting my team to work together, build together, and hopefully our software will be better as a result. That's an interesting point because in a lot of cases, people think, uh, even here at a conference like this, that the games that people are talking about are games specifically designed for some purpose, Right. But I know, at least at our company, for example, they started out just as a way to get the employees to work together and to have this social time. But we have a monthly game night where people can come in and play Flux or D&D or any number of other games that I'm too much <laughs> of a introvert to, to do. But I think those have actually gone a long way to doing some of the things you're just talking about. And they have nothing to do with specifically designed games for learning. And as more and more cooperative games are ruthlessly stolen from Germany um, and translated into English, we're getting the ability to build teams that solve problems as crazy as solving pandemics that then can go and solve problems as crazy as, well, I know we're always trying to solve time zone issues. And it's nice to be able to jump into a creative box to learn skills to, well, use in a more realistic box. I think a big thing that you kind of touched on here about building teamwork is that putting in a game kind of pulls in maybe a more social aspect than maybe what you're doing when you're typing away at work, even if you're pairing. And it allows you to build creative thought. And like one thing about conferences too, I encourage everybody to get your team and go to a conference together. And on your way there, all ride together and bring some cards or something. Play them in the car, play them in the plane, play them on the, in the train, doesn't matter. And you'll find that your team gets really close together. I think it was um, the two comedians, I can't think of their names, are magicians. Uh, one big guy that talks all the time and a little guy that never says anything. Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller, yeah. They said that when they travel together, they actually always stay in a hotel room together because it helps build them better as a team. Yeah, we just and, do that because we have so no money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, this is a great point. We tend not to carry cards because it's too easy to lose one, but we usually have like zombie dice because who doesn't like to eat brains? And <laughs> and it's just, it's, sometimes it's nice to just have that game of chance that allows a little bit of strategy. And um, it's amazing how that 20-minute wait while something weird happens with your aircraft can go by so much faster when you have that game in your pocket. So, Pamela, my question is, you were talking about stuff that you were getting from us. What do you think astronomy and your experience could bring that would add to this group? I'd like to say that you must have tweeted something because I think you're at Star Strider. I am at Star Strider. So Mark Sands said that suggested to you to seek us out because maybe we could help you with something. So Chris Sims, again, with the who can help you do this and you can help them do that. I mean, we're here for you, right, guys? Well, and what I love is Mark Sands is one of my former students from a million years ago, and, and now I'm seeing him as one of the voices that keeps cropping up in the Twitter feeds in your community. And so we really are sharing our young, basically. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Not eating them? Like no, no, just sharing That's them. That's the zombies, Lee. Let's give Lee a test. So, Lee, now we know what Pamela's name is. <laughs> Where's Pamela from? Astronomy. No, but specifically. <laughs> I don't know. 
East St. Louis. You were, uh, no, not East St. Louis. No, but close. Close, yes. And I said that a bit too fervently. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm from Edwardsville, Illinois, so I'm just oh. across the river from you Yes, yeah, so we're all from St. Louis. So I, I, I say this is something we're more, and I don't know who from, I know you've talked about the St. Louis Agile Link before. This is actually an opportunity maybe to do some cross-promotion. Our local Agile community of practice within the St. Louis metro area, where again, you're over at SIUE. Those of you not from St. Louis, it's about eh, 25 miles northeast of the arch yes. so so it's close it's a little a little bit separated but um, a great opportunity to collaborate maybe we'll explore working together what this looks like because we can leverage space because we can all get together without getting on an airplane and the first thing i can offer you podcaster to podcaster is record locally and then go out over google hangouts so that you can get even higher quality audio than skype allows and have oh, this we can have the skype and today. well no if you're recording <laughs> locally you don't have any bit rates issues to deal with. And by going out over Google Hangouts, you can have a live video audience. And so you can increase the number of people you can reach by reaching people through more mediums. We actually did that once and we did get positive reactions. I do it four or five times a week, so I'd be happy to help hook you up. Oh, we awesome. should, we should awesome. take Pamela up on that. Thank you, Pamela. Wonderful let's, comment. Let's just Thank drive over to Edwardsville and meet her. And then on the way, I'll drive past Edwardsville and go see the rest of my family in Illinois. That sounds great. You know, what's interesting to me is it seems like with the IT community, we need more games than anyone else. I don't know a lot about other industries. Jason, you maybe do, and Lee, maybe you from, I don't know, from what, academia or other stuff. Amos from the Army and his experience, but... The it, was IT- the, it was the Air Force, but I'll let it slide. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Amos, the Air Force. Next test is for John. Again, IT people need a lot of games because we have a hard time dealing with that F word. The F word I'm talking about here is feelings. We can't put feelings. That's a bad word. Feelings are fun. IT people have a really, really hard time talking about their feelings. So we've developed games to trick them into talking about their feelings. (laughs) Yeah, but. I guess, and, and folks, I know I was at the presenter dinner last night here. I was telling stories of my last year of my career where I was, for a while, I was basically doing consulting in healthcare. And it goes in all industries. I think, again, it's the ability to create an, you're creating an experience. And from that experience, people are truly able to learn and communicate better, and you break down barriers. I don't know of another industry where that is not relevant and needed. I would advocate that we, we had a discussion last night about is there an environment out there anywhere that Agile would not be advantageous to waterfall because of the ability to have a faster change cycle? I think the same hypothesis holds true for games. I cannot think of an environment where if you could present material or, or information in an interactive manner, get feedback, solicit engagement from the participants, I cannot think of why you would not want to do that. And at that point, I don't see why there aren't any complex problems out there. And again, as we learned today, and I know the group that I was in within the, the workshop that Chris and Laura facilitated, we were, for a while, we were trying to over-architect a game because it had a very complicated problem set. Wait a second. Jason Tice was trying to over-architect something? Yes. We need to pause. No way. Yes, yeah. no. We need to pause for Amos to No, no, because I had, I had too many architecture certifications that I had to get right, so, <laughs> to do my job. So, wait, so wait, wait, to- wait. Can we get a soundbite of him saying over-architecting that we can play done. all the time? Agile has taught us to maximize the art amount of work not done and keep things simple. Yes. And the same goes to game design. So I'll, again, I, if anything, I should write a piece about lessons that I've learned in my own experience as a game developer where, like a lot of us, you know, we get started and, you know, oh, it can't be that hard. And then you go do a game. And you're like, oh, that one didn't go over too well. I know we've had a few of those in the podcast. Oh, that one didn't go over too well. We've all had that. But you learn from that. So I would love to hear some stories of specific times that you died in a game. Oh, when we're off the rockers and we're like, that's not going to go over to come out too well. I'm trying to think of a good example. I'm trying to think how I can set enough context here in the podcast that people will understand. Because if you were there, you would know. The good news here is that you had the ability to have the introspection to say that, hey, we're over-architecting this game. And I yeah. need to pull back and focus on agile principles and say, do just enough to make it work, get continuous feedback, yeah. put it back out there, see what people think, right? Well, it's something that is so important for games, and I learned this. Actually, this is one of my, it was, uh, was my number two takeaway from the Agile Games Conference in 2013 when we had, um, uh, oh, help me, um, no, I, no, uh, Jurgen Apello here. Hello. Yes, I'm talking, yeah. Because Jurgen emphasized last year, he emphasized the value of 
easy ways to get feedback. Because every time you play a game, the gameplay manifests itself differently. And so I've had the example where I've had a game that has been highly successful with one group, and it was highly unsuccessful with another group because the people were different. So I know Jurgen talked about last year he threw a feedback door up and he helped me um, to say, wow, anytime you do a game and you are a facilitator of a game, you should get feedback on your game. That doesn't necessarily mean that your game is not designed well. It just may mean that the way you applied it for the group you were working with was misaligned, which as a facilitator, you can learn some skills and I guess I'm starting to learn them myself. How do you find a game and even the, the presentation style for how you facilitate it, how do you ensure it aligns well to the audience. Um, and so there are elements. There's a guy in St. Louis, John Crescent. He's a coach for version one. He, he's done a few talks and he's presenting at Agile 2014. He has a talk which relates elements of theater and stage and movies to the Agile Manifesto. And so there are some elements of looking about an audience and really considering who you're working with or who you're presenting the game for that are very important to consider up front. And then, of course, after you present the game, you need to get feedback from your audience or from the people that went through the game and realize that that's the most valuable thing that will, number one, help improve the design of the game and also help improve you as a facilitator. I'll also share it's great for podcasters. We love your feedback, and we would love to have better engagement with our audience. So we welcome you to tweet us comments at This Agile Life, and we value that because we just recently talked about that at a retrospective that we would love to get more feedback so we can improve the quality of our podcast. So even though it's not a game, I think the same idea of feedback, it applies in lots of contexts. Jason, why don't you take a minute and try and drum up some more people for the hot seat Uh-oh. while I talk about our friends at CodeShip. No, okay. <laughs> Speaking of games, it feels to me like using CodeShip is just like a game. It's so easy to use. It's easy to set up your project. integrates with all the major technologies out there. Uh, I have a project set up on CodeShip. Uh, using Node.js, and I use uh, the Amazon EC2 cloud to deploy to. It's great. Folks at CodeShip, I'm sure they're into games. I'm, I'm sorry there's no folks from CodeShip here to, to help talk to us about games today, but they are just a wonderful group of people. They are willing to help. Amos, I think, has tweeted them before, right, Amos? And, yeah, and, yeah and they were guests on the podcast. That's right. They were, and those guys are just out there. They're willing and available to help you with all of your continuous deployment, continuous integration needs. Software development is hard enough. Let CodeShip make continuous deployment simple for you. Check them out today at codeship.io slash thisagilelife. Guys, we've got the one and only Roger Greenway in the hot seat. He has decided to come up. And Roger, get right up on that okay. mic. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the introduction. And I thought if I delayed coming up a little bit that people listening to this podcast might be waiting because I've had such a big build up. Build up. Thank you. That's the words I was looking for. Yeah. Okay. There was one other cue that I was tempted to leap into the seat on, which was about engineers and feelings. There was one thing that I used today, which is drawing a chart. Uh, engineers like drawing charts. Oh, we sure, sure do. Yeah. So drawing a chart is quite an easy thing to do, but if the chart is about feelings, then I'm not sure if this is what you were referring to earlier about tricking engineers into expressing their feelings, but it's not quite how I'd use it, but it helps engineers to express their feelings when they've shown a chart with their ups and downs. And to make it even more expressive, I usually make this chart with a rope so that people can walk along the rope. It's not always a rope a graph showing feelings it can be focused on efficiency or collaboration how collaboration went up and down during a project or how productivity went up and down but it can uh, certainly also be used for feelings so i I thought i should respond to the uh, feelings one I was also sitting in the audience and enjoying your uh, podcast, um, thinking of one other IT connection that I did have, which was with a, a big IT company in Denmark, where they've now incorporated one of the methods I use as a standard part of their meetings, because it saves time. And I know save, saving time appeals to uh, many people. It's a method that I call horseshoe, or where do you stand? And it simply involves having people... You have a topic or an issue or a question to talk about, and people choose the place on the spectrum that most corresponds to their own particular belief or their own particular opinion. And um, by doing this, instead of waiting for everyone in the group, 
to speak, they can instantly make a silent statement by standing on a particular place on the, on the spectrum. So you can see at a glance whether there's something worth talking about or whether there's something not worth talking about. And if you want to encourage participation, the easiest person to have a conversation with is your near neighbour because your near neighbour has a similar point of view. So it's a good way to get talking going very quickly in a meeting so that when you move to later stages of the meeting, it's much easier. Everyone is warmed up. You can see what everyone's uh, point of view is. So some people say, why not just raise your hands, you know, if you want to find out what people's uh, view is. But I've got a thing about hand raising. The, the tall people always seem to have much bigger yeses than the small people. And, and I think that this method kind of evens things out a bit. So it's a non-sizist method. <laughs> Non-sizest. I, I like that. Roger, since we've got you in the hot seat, I wanted to tell you the horseshoe game I thought was good because it gave people an opportunity to voice their opinion non-verbally, right? I move to voice an opinion. Uh, one of the things I wanted to have a chance to talk with you about, now I've got you in the hot seat, so I'll ask you, is, and Amos, maybe you can chime in on this as well, one of the things that my mentors have taught me about retrospectives is to not necessarily require participation because, again, engineers, software developers, IT folks sometimes have trouble coming out with those F words, their feelings again. So it seemed like in a lot of your games today, there was a certain amount of required participation. And I wonder where you stand with this concept of allowing people to passively participate or not participate, but stay engaged anyway, right? Not disengage, stay engaged, listen, but not necessarily actively participate. Where do you stand in that regard? Well, I don't believe in forcing people, but I do believe in making it easy for people to participate. So quite often a, a facilitator, whatever name you prefer, might just throw out questions and expect people to respond straight away. And you can almost predict in any group there are three or four people who are going to respond or going to respond first. So what I try to do is give people thinking time or drawing time or speaking to a neighbour time. So they've got a time to warm up. So then if they want to participate, it's easier for them to do so rather than knowing that they've always got to wait that or they're kind of waiting their turn before the four people who speak the most have had their say and then there might not be much left to say i believe making it easy for people to participate is a good thing and also giving all the voices in the group an opportunity to speak and not just have the quietest voices always coming in at the end or trying to come in at the end when a lot of the key things might have already been said so I, I don't believe in forcing i found that like one way to draw those people out of their shells that works really well for me is every once in a while I'll just ask them like a really simple yes or no question. Just do you agree or don't you agree? And a lot of times, you know, they can start out with yes or no, but over time, as I ask them those type of questions more and more, it like draws them out and they start to say yes and then give explanations or no and give explanations and then they start jumping in all over the place. On the same principle, I often use numbers. So the starting point is a number. So people choose a number out on a scale, zero to ten, say. And then once people have got a number, they can then talk about why they've chosen a number. So the number is quite often an easy way. Amos, one of the things that uh, Roger taught me today was that it can be good to start with some one-on-one -on -one interaction. What I saw you do, Roger, was with a number of your games, you had small group interactions one or two people, maybe three people. And then what I noticed was the game progressed to a larger stage, right? We went from one, two, or three people participating to now. Let's bring that information and conversation to the larger group and share what we talked about in the small, in the bigger group. And I thought that that was a great concept, a great thing that I could take away, take back to my teams to help get the people that are maybe passive, a little more passive in terms of their participation, and get their participation and then bring that back into the whole group. So do you slowly grow the size of the groups, or do you split off into three or four and then come all together at once? Or do you split off into three or four groups, and let's say put two groups together, and then bring two of those larger groups together until you have the whole set? All of those things, I think. But a common pattern is to start with one, which is thinking time or writing time, then one to two and then build up gradually it varies but the most common pattern would be starting with one or two and then building up slowly cool excellent roger did you have anything else you wanted to share with us yeah just one other method i wanted to mention um i'm not sure if i brought it to agile yet but it's called uh, back to the future 
Ooh. which you will know from the uh, film title. And I used this, I've used this for a number of years, and I, I never saw the film. But three years ago, I saw the film, and I can absolutely assure you that it's got nothing to do with the film. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's no it's, copyright infringement problem. No, no. It's clear. No, okay. No, that's, that's very clear. And what it is, I challenged myself a while ago, is so keen on learning from experience, is it possible to move into the future while reflecting on the past? And in this Back to the Future method, it involves walking along a rope, and one end of the rope is your goal, and the other end of the rope is the present moment. And often when people walk towards their goal, they're encouraged to stay focused on their goal. But in this particular method, I ask people to turn their back to the future, hence the name of the uh, process. And when they turn their back to the future, they can then see the present and the past stretching in the other direction. So they have a partner who asks them various questions. What is there in your present and past that will help you achieve this goal? And whenever they come up with a good answer, they decide themselves how good the answer is. They take a step backwards towards the goal. So they're talking about their values, their motivation, their knowledge, their skills, their relationships, their colleagues, whatever they already have that will help them on that journey uh, they talk about with their colleague. I once saw a guy doing this uh, on his own because it was an odd-numbered group, and I hadn't realised it was possible to do it as a solo exercise. I was going to offer to be his partner, but he was so engrossed in this activity I didn't want to disturb him. Um, Unfortunately, it was on top of a flat roof building and he was walking towards the edge of the building. But so, so there was a bit of a safety issue concerned with this rope. And I thought at least he's got a postcard picture at the end representing his goal and he'll know when he gets there. And then the wind blew his postcard away. So the story does have a happy ending. But I did feel I needed... I hadn't realised before how dangerous debriefing could be. <laughs> <laughs> When done on a flat rooftop high above a city, it can be dangerous. Yeah. Thank I, you, Roger. I, I actually, Roger, I remember, I think we did that game last year at last year's Agile Games Conference. Because remember, Derek W. Wade, who's another presenter this year, and I, we were each other's partners and we did the forward and backward thing. And it was very powerful. This idea of using space where you're moving forward and you're backward and everything is transparent to everyone else in the room is extremely powerful. So and one of the things I love about your techniques is they all involve a lot of kinesthetic activity. So people are up, moving around, there's transparency, and it really makes things so much more effective than just sitting around a table. And unfortunately, we're sitting around a table here. I wrote on my notes over there. If we do this again, we need to get wireless so we can walk around and get the audience involved better. But again, well, Doc actually talked a, talked a lot about the fact that when you move around, you actually get blood pumping to your brain, and you're much more likely to be, yes, be good so. at it. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And now we will do Agile Yoga, right? Unfortunately, we are it's, out of time. It's Wednesday night. That's Wednesday night. So <laughs> it's not Wednesday night. I know. It's Wednesday night. I do yoga. So. so we are out of time, we're Jason. I'm sorry. We, we cannot do Agile Yoga No, tonight. we're not. We have until all night here. <laughs> no, you. we're not. Thank you, John. I saved us, Lee, from Agile Yoga. I'm going to go sail a boat out there on the river. Amos, we'll take a picture. If you guys, again, if you've ever been to Boston, never been to an Agile New England conference that's held at the Microsoft Nerd, we're in a, what I call a billion-dollar piece of real estate overlooking the Charles River, and we're watching the boats sail up and down the river. Amazing. Beautiful. Well, shoot one of those over to me so I can be even more jealous of you guys having a great time up there. We will do that because we love nothing more than to make Amos jealous of us. <laughs> All right, uh, so that's it for our discussion topics. We're going to do our picks tonight. This week's hottest picks. Lee, you're up first with your picks. Well, my pick today is a book that Doc List continually referenced as part of his presentation today, and uh, I'm definitely going to check it out. It is Training from the Back of the Room, 65 Ways to Step Aside and Let Them Learn by Sharon Bowman. I thought that was very cool. I have to read that one. I do actually have another pick that came up when you guys were talking about uh, having shared spaces and events. And uh, one thing I learned recently that you can do with a Google Hangout is uh, you can set up events and then you can invite people to your event in Google and then set up a shared gallery. So anytime anybody then that has RSVP'd to that event takes a picture, you can share that immediately with those people that have RSVP'd. I thought that was a really cool little thing that uh, I had not heard about until recently. 
Good pick, Lee. Thanks for sharing those. I also heard a lot of chatter about training from the back of the room today. So it sounds like that's probably required on the required reading list for all agile trainers. Uh, Amos, you're up next with your pick, man. So my pick is maybe not relative to what you guys are doing, but uh, I actually just want to thank this real estate company for letting me use their Wi-Fi today. So Dunes Realty in Garden Beach, South Carolina. And then on top of that is vacation. I love my job and I never want to leave. And that's why I drove over here even on vacation to be with you guys tonight. But uh, I think it's important for us all to take a step back sometimes and, and just breathe and, and before we jump back into our exciting careers. Even if you just do a staycation, right, where you don't go to work, but you stay at home, you've got to get away from the office and let your batteries recharge. Sometimes, like, just going on vacation can be stressful enough that when I come home, my job actually feels very relaxing. We had a member of our team that went on vacation recently, and by that, it meant he came back to work when he was supposed to be on vacation because he was going to spend his vacation learning Android, and it turned out it was better to learn it at work. So he came back to work to learn Android. On his vacation. Nice. Wow. Super geek. So my pick has been given away, but I'm going to repeat it. It's Debriefing Games from Dr. Roger Greenway. His website, reviewing.co.uk slash agile. He's got all of the great material out there that he shared with us today. And uh, let's go to Jason for his pick. I'll do a few um, uh, off the top of the head, so since I don't have the document in front of me to type into. So for uh, we should tweet this out, Lisa, since you like Doc, our Doc List session today on Trini from the Back of the Room. This week also at the Better Software West Conference, one of Doc's former colleagues, Trisha Broderick, who is actually one we were seeing if she could join us this year, she is presenting a very similar workshop on the same ideas about learning. So there's a couple folks out there, um, uh, Doc, Trisha, that do present that book. They all do great sessions, so check them out at a conference near you. I know they will be doing a session together at the Agile 2014 conference in Orlando. The other one that I'll just plug since we are at Agile Games 2014 is the whole idea of, for those of you, and I'll unfortunately admit by the time this episode posts, the conference will be over, everyone will be back to their natural habitats, but I have a theory, it's called The Conference Lives On. Um, If you are listening to this, go to Twitter, we use the hashtag pound sign Agile Games, and you'll get the Twitter stream from this year's conference, as well as if you keep scrolling, you'll get last year's conference and the conference before that, and there's lots of great ideas, blog posts, tweets, uh, links to presentations, and photos that if you're looking for some inspiration out there and again but the greatest thing i love about that is that there's very little cost there's you know there's very little effort involved to get the information if you're a facilitator you're looking for ideas free ideas so even though we would love for you to come to boston we'd love you free to join us at agile games 2015 or whatever it is guess what there's free ideas out there and i would encourage you to maybe go do some exploration of your own Find some other ideas, as we talked about today in a few of the sessions, synthesize them together and come up with something that then you can share with the community to help others improve and learn. And there's nothing to stop anyone out there here in the room or anyone out there listening to us from doing that. So I guess I leave that as inspiration for everyone to go out and create something and come back and share it with us. Thanks, Jason. I'd like to thank the hosts of the Agile Games 2014 conference, Agile New England, for inviting the podcast here. We are pleased to be able to join you. And thanks to everyone who's in the live studio audience here tonight for participating. We'll, we'll add an audience applause track. It was both wonderful and nerve-wracking to do this in front of a live audience, so we appreciate having you all here. And thanks to everyone for listening to This Agile Life. Check out thisagilelife.com for our show notes and for all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living This Agile Life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.